Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Health IQ. I'm so happy that they are sponsors this year. And if you are looking to save money on life insurance, be sure to check them out. 56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance. That is huge huge if you know how much life insurance costs. So to see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash HWS. So be sure to check them out and save some money on your life insurance. Now, today's episode is another fabulous episode recorded live at CSM. And in this episode, guest host Jenna Cantor, who is a DPT student at Columbia University, graduating very, very soon, interviews Allie Shoes. So Allie owns Peak Sports and Spine Physical Therapy in the great state of Washington. Allie is also a board member of the private practice section, and she works with a variety of difficult cases, utilizes her Sherlock Holmes-type skills to find an answer. She leads each patient toward a more active lifestyle. She specializes in biomechanics of the shoulder, spine, and lower extremity, including gait analysis and orthotic fabrication. And in this episode, Allie and Jenna talk about how to how Allie got into private practice. So if you're thinking about starting your own private practice one day, this is a great episode to listen to. Allie is a wealth of knowledge, so I will let her and Jenna get to it and enjoy today's episode. Hello, I am Jenna Cantor, and I am happy to be partnering with Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart here at CSM, which is the Combined Sections Meeting in New Orleans. I am joined today by Allie Shoes. She is the owner of Peak Sports and Spine Physical Therapy in Seattle, Washington. And she today is going to be discussing her biggest lessons when opening up a private practice, which for me right now, I'm a student just about to be graduating in May 2018. I'm very interested in this topic. So for for the first question, I would love to know what made you decide to open up your own private practice in the first place? Well, thanks for having me, Jenna, and I'm, um, I am passionate about private practice, so I appreciate you talking to me about this. Um, I opened my first practice five years into my career, and however, the reason I did it probably goes back to the fact that I was raised by parents who owned their own business in a very small town, so we had a little office supply and Hallmark shop, which my parents divorced, and ultimately my mother took it over, so I was really raised by a businesswoman. She was president of the Chamber of Commerce. She ran the food bank. She raised seven children and was just this amazing woman. And we all worked in the store. So owning your own business was second nature to me. Um, And then when I was in the private practice world, my first job uh, for three years, I worked in a private practice clinic, orthopedic and sports medicine, and absolutely loved it. I loved everything about that job. I did leave and travel for a while and decided I need managerial experience. And so I took a job with a outpatient sports medicine clinic affiliated with a hospital. 
and took the plunge and got the director position of that clinic, nice. um, which was fantastic. They had three people from within applying for it. So I learned conflict resolution quickly. Ooh, that is a uh-huh. skill. It oh, is a I, skill. Oh, I want to be good at that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd say every job I've had, I've learned something from, either because I made a mistake always because I'm in a spake as well as just had some successes. And that job I learned, really learned conflict resolution and I learned um, how to do a budget because hospitals are big on budgets. Mm -hmm. I also learned in that situation that um, if you want something today, if you make a decision today, you don't get it tomorrow because you're in a hospital organization and it was a big hospital organization, you know, multi-state. So everything lives and dies by the budget a year in advance. And if something goes wrong, your budget could get cut and the things you planned for nine months ago don't get to happen anymore. And I was, that is not who I am. Mm -hmm, I was very mm -hmm. frustrated. I also unfortunately had a female boss who didn't empower the people who worked for her. And mm -hmm. um, so it was a frust, I learned a lot, but I was frustrated there. Right. The physician, the orthopedic surgeon who was the the uh, physician medical director of that clinic, he was also team surgeon for the Mariners baseball team. And I had, he and I had a great relationship. And he opened a private practice in a little suburb town with his partners separate from the hospital. And I decided it was time for me to leave where I was and go into private practice, which I knew I wanted to do. And the push was I felt I had the managerial skills now and I did not like the setting I was in. And those two physicians, we did not partner. I did my own practice. But I met with them and said, if I do this, will you refer to me? And they were very supportive. So it was across the lake. It was actually in Bellevue. And I opened. And six months later, I got a call from this physician who said, Ali, I'm so sorry, but we are pulling up roots and going back to Seattle. We're closing our private practice. It didn't work. So I'm six months into this. You know, I've got my lease and everything else, 2,000 square feet. And I guess it was 1,500 square feet then. And I said, okay, they got me my start. I've got some patients coming to the door. I just need to do some more marketing and took off from there. And so. clearly successful marketing, because mm-hmm. here you are. How mm-hmm. many years have you been in business now? Well, I've had a circuitous route. I was in private practice for uh, seven years until 1993. And um, that is when the first round of upheaval in the healthcare market happened, when mm-hmm. it looked like we we're going to have all HMOs across the country. And uh, Clinton was in office and Hillary was pushing for universal health care. And our state was trying to beat them to the punch. So it's when all the big corporations came into town and bought up practices. And um, so my husband and I had four clinics at that time. We sold his biggest clinic to the hospital, and we sold my clinic and ultimately the other two to a corporation that um, I respected, felt like they were not going to resell my clinic, which they didn't. They weren't in it for the investment. I felt they were ethical, and I... um, Again, got a managerial position with them. So I was the first one in the door, and I became the group director for Seattle. So I ultimately had 15 clinics that I oversaw. I opened, ran, I saw patients. I still ran my own clinic personally. Um, and I learned a ton from them. I truly learned what a PL was, and I learned about connections across the country. And because of my Connections P&L, just, just so P&L is Profits and Losses. Profit and loss I learned that yes. at the private yeah. practice yes. section Your conference. Profit loss statement, which yes. really is second nature to me. I can tell you pretty much in my head at any given time what all my numbers are. And I, again, credit my mom for that, that I have a knack for numbers and, and uh, P&Ls. Um, 
And I also made a really great connection with the Mariners. So we did some, when I was with that corporation, they had the money that enabled me to do a lot of physician education in the community. We hired the athletic trainer, the, the head trainer for the Mariners. He worked with us as a consultant for years. I ended up treating some of the Mariners. Um, met PTs across the country. But again, after seven years, I, I always knew when I did that that my heart was in private practice. Mm-hmm. And things turned around just like they will now. And it, private practice did not go away. And so I jumped back into it after seven years. And the second time around, so in 2000, um, my husband and I did it differently. We started, Gil started our first practice. We brought on a therapist who had worked for me at his first job out of school and then had gone on to be a manager in another group. And we brought him in as a partner in our second clinic. And then I came on board with our third clinic. And then we subsequently opened eight of them and always brought in a physical therapist as a partner. Um, we financed it all, so they didn't have to bring in any money to the table. They were mostly PTs who'd worked with us or did work with us. One was a, a friend of another therapist that they'd worked oh, together. Good. Then you have a good relationship. You mm-hmm. have a great relationship, and you have a team of directors who are all owners and vested partners, and you have no turnover, and you have people who care about the business as much as you do. And we had an opportunity that part of one of the things I feel best about is the therapists that either have... I've watched help promote the trajectory of their career. These people are all owners, full owners now in their own right. Um, other therapists that have worked with me have gone on to be presidents of different associations. And, and uh, I love that. I love that I feel like there's a group of therapists that I've been able to pass something on to. Yes, which you're doing now in this podcast. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> so great. So to be a little bit um, helpful and get some insight, mm-hmm. what were the what would you say were the three most important things you put together before officially opening up your practice? Well, so like I said, I opened my first practice in 1987. So was that 31 years ago? I mm-hmm. think the environment is completely different, right? So. Um, it wasn't, I, I never thought it was hard to open a private practice or own one. I had nothing, so I had nothing to lose. I mean, I went to a bank to actually try to get a loan, and I had a Toyota Corolla as my collateral. Hey, <laughs> whatever it. works. Yeah, I didn't get it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get it. So I partnered with two of the physical therapists to be my silent partners. So they were my financial backers, but they had no real say in how I ran my day-to-day business that I got to do that and they let me do that right so that's what's really awesome Mm -hmm. is they took that chance with me um so I I made sure I had financial backing from a source that would keep me afloat we determined my salary and I knew I would be able to stay afloat while I got the practice running I um, went to physicians before I opened my practice and made sure I had a referral source because direct access didn't exist then. You had to have physician referrals. So Mm -hmm. I made sure that I knew I had physician referrals before I opened. Um, And I did a budget, but again, a budget is a guess, right? So I had an idea of how many patients I needed to see in order to be successful. but I tend to fly by the seat of my pants. So I can't say that was the driving force. I really trusted that I knew I was going to be able to do this. I trusted that I was going to have that um, ability. And, and I did knock on tons of physician doors back then. And those are the days they'd meet with you. 
So it was not hard for me to get appointments and go in and sit down with physicians. And I asked. I asked for their business. So I think that was critical in my early success was asking for the business. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And on that note, we are going to take a quick 30-second break to hear from our sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, strength trainers, and more. Like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. These savings are exclusive to Health IQ, and you must qualify to get the special rate. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash H-W-S. Now, truth mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And this, I feel, is just as good insight. So mm-hmm. what are some mistakes that you made in the process oh, that and you I, think people could mm-hmm. n- maybe not even expect and go, oh, mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that? I, I made lots of mistakes, and I'm, I don't mind telling the mistakes <laughs> I've made. Because you do learn from your mistakes, yes. right? I mean, relying on those two orthopedic surgeons, there were three of them, but two of them were my biggest referrals. And I really did rely on them in those first six months to, to be my business. So I scrambled when they told me they were uh, mm-hmm. leaving. Um, and then when physicians went gung-ho on, on opening up their own practices, the same thing happened to me. I had a group of orthopods, two big groups of orthopods in my area who were the bulk of my referral source. And they merged and opened their own physical therapy clinic. And I lost, gosh... 40% maybe of my business oh, overnight, geez. literally. Oh my gosh. So diversifying my referral source, um, referral sources has always, since those two incidences has been big for me. Mm-hmm. When people say, here are my top 10 physicians, I don't have top 10 physicians. I almost never have. I mean, if you want to count my top 10, and they might refer three patients a year to me. My list is super, super, super long. Um, so I won't do that again. And now in our in this environment where physicians are being gobbled up by larger healthcare organizations, I've moved again away from that and I'm really marketing to the public and really working on our patient engagement. Um, so again, that I don't make that mistake again that all of a sudden my physician referrals dry up. Right. And I'd say from a managerial standpoint, um, I made a few mistakes. My very first manager position when I was at Providence, I tried to instill my way on how things got done. And three therapists left relatively quickly. They were the three who also applied for the job. So they weren't happy about the situation anyway. But um, I can't say I was the best inclusive manager at that time. I also didn't have children. And I didn't learn to become a good manager to women in our workforce, especially women with children and the needs that they have until I had my own kids. And I'm, it's sad that it took me having to experience it to become a better manager of those people and understand their needs, understand the value of the women in our health force who really do need to work part-time and need to work schedules around children and men now too, because men are much more involved in raising their children. And I have a male therapist who actually um, came to me recently and said, I really need to change my schedule. He has a very wacky schedule and we changed it to accommodate what he needs to do with his son. And um, that is not who I was when I was first a manager. It's like, look, I work these many hours a week. I'm here at seven. I'm here at five. You got to do it what too. I expected. That's it. That's a job. And yeah. That's the mm-hmm. job. And so I've, uh, I learned uh, along the way from the people who worked for me and, um, 
to change that. And the, I'd say the other big one, which was a killer, I had a therapist who really had a Jekyll and Hyde personality, and I only saw her good personality. So when she was around me, she was wonderful, and um, yeah, I that. had staff <laughs> complaining, quite a few staff complaining about her, but I didn't see it, so I didn't take the steps to fix it. And by the time she was doing some of those behaviors in front of me, it was too late. She had corrupted my entire staff. So I ultimately fired her. She's the only physical therapist I've ever fired. And um, I lost a bunch of staff after that because it just was a toxic environment. So, I mean, I was treating patients probably 60, 70 hours a week because I had lost so many therapists. And... um, and I thought, I just was trying to be nice. Uh, this isn't what I see. I didn't want to call her out. And um, as, a, as a boss, you can be respectful and you can be collaborative, but you can't be nice to everybody. That's, that's you a don't hard, lead that's by hard. being nice. Yeah. Right? And, and, and yes. that's hard. And it's hard to, no, I mean, I'm, I'm experiencing that now as I'm having this, these joyful opportunities to take on these leadership, op- leadership positions as a student. And you saying that is actually really helpful. It's it's just so hard because you don't want to go the other route as well. So it's like, how do you find mm-hmm. that gray area where it's it's business, it's nothing personal, and but it's but I, I would rather be on the happy side. That's mm-hmm. hard. That's hard. It is hard, and it's learning how to have honest conversations with people. That it isn't about a personality issue. It's right. about a behavior. Yeah. Some behaviors that I'm seeing or hearing about, let's address these. Yeah. And really trying to take it away from, it's not about the person, it's about the behaviors. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's been very helpful. And, you know, taking courses to learn how to do that is very helpful. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll find out from mm-hmm. you after mm-hmm. what those courses are. <laughs> uh, how did you, going back to your patients, how did you attract those dream patients that you wanted? That, that maybe the specific niche, what, what did you do? So I, I think I did it by one, like I said, I asked, I, I really wanted um, the orthopedic surgeons business. I wanted people with, you know, athletic injuries and surgeries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was exciting to me at the time, ACL reconstructions and runners. Love, love, love runners because I was a runner. I was a marathon runner. And so, so I asked for those kinds of patients. I sought out the physicians who treated the kind of patients that I wanted. Um, but I also was very involved in my community. And to be honest, looking over my career, most of my growth and the patients I like has been because I've been involved in activities that people have gotten to know me and then come to me because of that. So when I was a runner and, and you know, I ran, my husband and I were both runners, so we actually entered races and were heavily involved in the running community. Um, I started doing gait analysis and orthotics back then because I loved it. So I got to see a lot of runners. I became friends with the athletic trainer for the Mariners. And so that appears prestigious to some people, right, to know the athletic trainer for a professional team, which gives you kind of automatic credibility. Um, so you start to see baseball player kids and I volunteer, I was a coach for my kids' soccer team. So I start seeing the soccer kids and was involved in their schools. So the parents and the kids all came to see me and it was a young, active, vibrant patient population that I really enjoyed. Um, and ironically, now that I've been a PT for 35 years, I'm seeing 
a lot older patients <laughs> because they've grown up with me. I'm still yes. in the same community. So our practice still is pretty diverse, but the people who follow me personally tend to be a little bit older. I get way less ACL reconstructions. My staff get to see those. Yeah. And so I really encourage them, get involved in what you love in our community, and then you will see those the patients. patients that you want to work right. with. I mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. If you were going to go back and give mm-hmm. yourself advice before you even got started with your own practice and you had to give some sort of words of wisdom, mm-hmm. what would you say to yourself? Uh, be braver, be bolder. So um, I was very brave opening my first practice, but truly I didn't have financially, I had nothing to lose. I was broke when I started. I mean, I could pay my bills and that was about it. But um, even just throughout my career, I would say just be a little bit braver and bolder. And if you want to do it, don't overthink it. Don't make it something that has to be perfect before you do it. Because I have a little bit of a perfectionist tendency. And perfectionists frequently don't accomplish things. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. they yeah. want it to be so good before they do it. So, um, you know, just stick your foot out there and go. And then surround yourself with people who believe in your mission. They don't have to be just like you, but they believe in your mission. I, I think you do best if everyone can be on the same page in terms of where we're going. Can you, if someone doesn't fit that, don't just hire a physical therapist because you need a physical therapist. It needs to be right for both of you. So even how I interview has changed with people. And and I, if someone, I love them, but I don't sense that they love us or there's something holding them back, I'll tell them to really think about it and to consider that thing that's holding them back because if they're not on board with me, even if I think they're terrific, if if for whatever reason the direction we're going isn't theirs, they don't. They shouldn't get on my train because they're going to go a different direction. They're going to leave anyway. Yeah, right? Everybody wants to be happy at the right. end of the day. Everyone yeah. wants to be happy, and your success is because people that you have surrounded yourself with want the thing you want to be successful. Right. So so again, it's not like-minded. It's not people who have the same traits as you or the same personality traits, but definitely same mission. Excellent. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you so much, mm-hmm. Allie. I'm thrilled to have gotten to know you more. I know we're on a on a podcast for Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart, but you are a true inspiration, and I definitely am going to be following your footsteps and uh, opening up my own practice one day. Well, thanks, Jenna. <laughs> and just having met you and followed you on Twitter and through our Women in PT Summit group, um, truly, I'm so impressed with you already. You're not, you're still a student and the stuff you're doing is amazing. So thanks. I loved having this conversation with you. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. thanks for listening, everyone. So how great was that? Getting a sneak peek into how someone runs their private practice, how they started, ups and downs. A huge thank you to Jenna Cantor for hosting another fabulous episode. And a big thanks to Allie Shoes for pulling back the curtain and letting us see what her private practice is like. And of course, this episode would not be complete without our great sponsor, Health IQ. Again, they use science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people, hopefully like the people listening to this podcast, runners, cyclists, strength trainers, vegans, and more. So to see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash HWS, or you can just go to the website and click on the Health IQ icon and see if you can save yourself some money on life insurance. So everybody, thanks so much for listening today. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. 
Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.